Hey, welcome to episode 48 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. I am your host, Stephen Stiles, and the topics to talk about remain abundant. So let's start off with, let's take a look at management and coaching openings around the league, starting with the position of president. Although Philadelphia has filled that position opening with Keith Jones, Pittsburgh still has a vacancy at this point, and the Toronto Maple Leafs, with all that's going on there, who knows what's going on with Brendan Shanahan, if the owners will sit there and say, you know what, it's just time to make a clean sweep, or we just need to fill in the positions that are already vacated. That brings us to general manager openings. Once again, the Flyers have been the first to fill that with removing the interim tag from Daniel Briere. Briere has now been made the official GM of that team. Craig Conroy has filled the GM opening position in Calgary, and that leaves openings in Pittsburgh, Toronto, and who knows if more will occur. The Toronto situation, again, has just been like no other. has been like this unforecasted storm that has just blown in out of nowhere and just ripped holes and everything. It's just kind of really, really strange. And it's going to be interesting to see if there's actually a connection between Toronto and Pittsburgh to see if Kyle Dubas, who used to be in Toronto, now suddenly becomes a main player or figurehead in Pittsburgh. This takes us to coaching vacancies, which has more than any other position and has almost kind of replicated what it's like to be an NFL head coach the day after the regular season ends because you have current openings in Columbus, Calgary, Washington, Anaheim, Toronto possibly, Vancouver possibly, Pittsburgh possibly, and definitely the Columbus Blue Jackets. So that's a lot of change in the coaching world. It seems like the NHL has reached one of those points where they're ready for, let's change the system or the way the game is played on the ice, and to do that, we need a different set of coaches. It just seems that bizarre. And here's the best part. None of that, any of those discussions, include the Ottawa Senators, which are in the process of being sold to a new ownership group, Is Lou Lamorello staying with the New York Islanders? And, of course, one cannot ignore and forget about the current situation with the Arizona Coyotes. And that just is kind of random. Nobody has, I think, any idea where that's going to fall out or end up happening or taking place or moving to. And, of course, that includes the fact that although St. Louis is not looking for a head coach, the head coach they retained, but the rest of their coaching staff was let go. The good news for all this is there's little doubt that Toronto will take center stage for all this and kind of almost be a shield that deflects all the other teams and their stories from the spotlight. That actually could help a lot of other organizations. Toronto, on the other hand, wow. I mean, do they go the veteran route like we've talked about previously and hire somebody like George McPhee? Do they completely grab the league's attention and install either Gina Kingsbury or Emily Castingay as president, followed by selecting Granado as their new GM? Where or what direction does this organization take? It is so bizarre to talk about that because the organization is just loaded with, some people call it a core four, but I think it has more talent than just those core four. But they should be vying in a position of seriously contending, not only winning their divisions and playoff rounds, but for the cup itself. And it's just really, really weird to see an organization in that position going through these issues. It would be like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin in their primes like six or seven years ago, suddenly the Penguins' ownership and GM just fell apart. That just makes no sense. It's just a very bizarre turn of events. 
Moving on from those conversations on to another disturbing one that seems to have reared its ugly head in Montreal again. And now that Patrick Waugh is back in the news with the Quebec Remparts, even before they won their opening round of the tournament, everybody is now talking about how Patrick Waugh must return to the organization of the Montreal Canadiens in some capacity. No, he must not. Montreal does not need that aggravation. Montreal does not need that disruption. There's no benefit he's going to bring to the organization. There's no position within the organization for him with the sole option of maybe as part of the ambassador team and to do community work for the organization. But certainly not in anything to do with scouting, certainly not anything to do in general management or above. Montreal does not need that. There is no benefit to bringing him back in any way, shape, or form. Now, for the people that can't believe I'm saying this, Patrick Waugh, after being drafted in 1984, all the way until and through Jacques Leperrier's coaching, and up to the moment Mario Trombley took over as head coach. So from 1984, right up to and including the last moment Jacques Leperrier was head coach, Patrick Waugh had a great career. From the moment Patrick Waugh was drafted in 1984, right through the very last second that Jacques Leperrier was head coach, Patrick Waugh's career was outstanding, was memorable, was definitely something to consider one of the greatest careers in recent modern history. That being said, the moment Mario Trombley took over as head coach, everything changed, and none of it was for the good. And one could argue, well, there it is. See, Mario Trombley is the problem. No, Mario Trombley was part of the problem. You had a clash of the egos, and Patrick Waugh, during that process, from his draft year, prior to Mario Trombley being named head coach, obviously grew an enormous ego which there is no place for. And when Mario Tremblay became head coach, egos clashed, which is never good. And it was a battle of the wills. From the moment Tremblay walked through the door, there was very clearly an obvious pissing match between the two of them. It was very obvious. Both had a God complex. And I'll be the first to say, I believe Tremblay should have never been hired as coach of the Montreal Canadiens. Tremblay is a skills coach. Like I said earlier, as an ambassador, great. Would have been outstanding roles for him. Tremblay tried to be exactly like Scotty Bowman, and that was doomed from the start. While, on the other hand, only very clearly thought of himself at that point. Thought of himself as one of, if not the best goaltender in the Canadiens' history, which he's not even in the top five. Okay, I've said that many times, that he, and as much as I love Carey Price, they're not in the top five of the Canadiens' goaltenders. You have Bill Durham, George Vezina, George Hainsey, Jacques Plante, Ken Dryden, at a minimum ahead of them. No questions asked. All of those goaltenders are far, far better. And as great as people can say Wah and Price are, that's the unfortunate thing. When you have not only an original six team, but the original team in the league, period, and has had the incredible history and heritage that they've had, especially at goaltending. Montreal has had an organizational history of goaltenders like no other. And unfortunately, Wah and Price, though, would be without doubt the best goaltenders in other franchise histories, not in Montreal. Not in Montreal at all. But besides the pissing match that obviously clearly existed between Wah and Tremblay, there's also a God complex, which is called an ego, 
which is a real problem. Anytime an athlete thinks they're bigger than an organization, they have lost their priorities. They're not. No athlete is bigger than an organization. That is a delusion that arrogance causes. And that's a problem. And let's not forget, not only did Wah have that episode in Montreal, also isn't necessarily the best role model with some of the other things that have occurred. Now, it's bad enough that the Wah conversations have reared their ugly head and resurfaced. But once again, what else is festering to a ridiculous level and continuing with no end in sight? You guessed it, Pierre-Luc Dubois dribble. And now there's individuals that think it's a great idea of how the Canadians should trade Kirby Doc to the Winnipeg Jets. Let me understand this correctly. This has reached a point where people want to trade a younger player who has tons of talent yet to be untapped, skills and abilities that just started showing through this year with the expert tutelage of coach Martin St. Louis, who in reality has just begun to unlock all of that talent that he knows he has and will continue to do so was a steal of a trade at the 2022 draft although many people gave general manager kent hughes flack and couldn't believe he did that is the big center with the reach control and skill set that montreal has been looking for for so long here's how long they've been looking for that they drafted doug wickenheiser with the number one pick overall in the 1980 nhl entry draft that's how long they've been looking for that kind of center. And in return for Kirby Doc, there are people that believe Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's been and caused organizational dysfunction, locker room disruption, has clearly demonstrated his belief in his own importance and put it ahead of other team members. And quite honestly, yeah, he had 28 goals and 60 points last year. This year, he had 27 goals and 63 points. Currently, is already making over $6 million. And what's Kirby Doc making? 3.5? And is signed for the next four years? Huh. And has more potential talent. Hasn't reached his upside yet. Likely Pierre Dubois has. And this seems like a rational trade to people? Really? Is there just rampant insanity? Seriously. I mean, are people suffering from short-term memory? Because another experiment, because I can't help but think this really comes down to local, local, local kid. Well, Jonathan Duran was a local, local, local kid. And Montreal gave up a tremendous left defensive talent in a defenseman that I think was the best selection of the 2016 NHL draft in Miguel Sergachev. And has gone on to be quite consistent, by the way. Though, that being said, later drafts saved Montreal from that catastrophic departure of that defenseman in the forms of Caden Gooley, Arbor Jacki, Jordan Harris, and the just litany of left-handed defenseman talent that the organization now has. But for a couple of years, you got to admit, he would have looked really good next to Shea Weber and maybe would have prevented Weber from all those injuries that eventually ended his career. But we're getting sidetracked. You had Jonathan Druin come. Did that experiment go well? If anybody out there can say yes, wow, there's different definitions that exist clearly today. Because that was a cluster from the beginning that Tampa still has to go, I can't believe we actually pulled that off. But this has got to be the definition of insanity, which is doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting a different result. It didn't work with Jonathan Duran. It's not going to work with Pierre-Luc Dubois. Leave it alone. Montreal to say is better off with Kirby Doc than Pierre-Luc Dubois could go down as the greatest understatement in recent time. 
So with all that said, let's just switch to something that's a lot more fun to talk about, and that is the playoffs. Can anybody believe the amount of playoff games this year that have gone to overtime? That is just nuts. And for the NHL, who not only has got to be loving the fact that so many of their Southern team expansion franchises are flourishing and making it all the way to the final rounds and to the cup finals, but the parity of the league is just nuts. And you're watching that right now in the final four with teams playing unbelievably balanced games and deciding by one goal games and again, or overtime goals. It's extremely difficult to even rationalize or understand in any way how some of the people are saying, oh, this year's playoffs are going to be boring. How? With that amount of overtime and competitiveness, no blowouts? I mean, that's, I guess in a way, kind of like the NFL fans. Does nobody like competitive games? Does everybody just go to see goals scored? Because I don't. I never have. In either the NHL or the NFL. I want a competitive game. They're pro athletes. They're paid really well. Let's see some competition. But it seems like everybody's like, oh, well, you know what I really want to see? I want to see the 7-1 to blowouts and stuff. No, that's not hockey. Just like in football, if you handcuff the defenses to the point that the offenses can do whatever they want, that's called skills competition. Okay, that's at the All-Star Games in the middle of the season or in the case of the NFL at the end of the year. That's not a playoff game. That's not a game at all of any kind, regular season or not. But back to excitement, how can anybody not be excited and blown away with what Sergei Bobrovsky has done and Matthew Kachuk? Either one are legit Conn Smythe Trophy winners. And quite honestly, even though I said either one, Bobrovsky is by far in front and in the lead. And the reason for that is if he hadn't won the games that he did and played like he did as great as Matthew Kachuk has played, there wouldn't have been any more games to play. So to me, that's the deciding factor as far as the Conn Smythe Trophy for this year's playoffs. Let's not forget about the masterful job that Alexander Barkov has done shutting down league's other top flight players. Let's not forget about the difference that Radko Gudis has made, though I'm sure, undoubtedly, people are sitting there going, you know what, he's a cheap shot player. He's playing on the edge. There's no question about that. But there's also been a lot of other things in the playoffs this year and other games from other seasons and things that have been far worse than what he's done and not been called for any penalties and stuff either. So let's not, everybody's like, well, you know, I don't like him. And the reason they don't like him is because if he played for their team, then they'd love him. He'd be great. They'd be singing his praises. The fact that he plays for somebody that you might not be rooting for seems to make a bigger difference, which is strange to say the least. Florida is the definition of a team that came together all at the same time. Kachuk took his game to another level. Bobrovsky is just put together the best series of playoff games, bar none, that the league has, some people would say, argumentatively seen period, certainly in a long, long time. And you can't forget people like Nick Cousins. You can't forget people like Sam Bennett. Timeliness and role-playing. Florida, honestly, looks like the Tampa Bay Lightning has in their best years. It is a team chemistry. Everything is clicking And they've put it together at the right time, which is very similar to the fact when Los Angeles so many years ago, as the eighth seed that just got in, did the same thing. So this is likely, and hopefully for them, going to be a repeat of that outcome, because I would at this point love to see Florida win it all. 
and here's a bunch of other reasons. I can't figure out why people are saying the playoffs are boring. You got Miro Hishkinen in Dallas, who's been like a reincarnation of Nick Lindstrom from the Detroit Red Wings when he played, controlling the game, setting the tempo, being generally the quarterback or the organizer of the team, setting up their plays. You've got Chandler Stevenson in Las Vegas, along with Jack Eichel, that are putting together very, very impressive playoff seasons. You got Jonathan Marchand, who has, again, from a timely perspective, just like the Sam Bennett's and Nick Cousins of Florida, been incredibly valuable to the team. So I'm trying to figure out with all this going on in the playoffs, how is this boring? How is this not exciting? Is it the fact that there's no original six team? Can understand that. Is it the fact that there's no big city, quote unquote, team left? Some people might even argue that. But as far as a game of competition, as far as people putting it all together and having impressive playoff runs, those players I just mentioned are from multiple teams in the playoffs still. I don't know how people can't be, wow, I didn't even know about that guy. It should be expanding people's minds. It's great to see other markets being successful, being competitive, being in the competition in the league. Now, that being said, I'm still not a fan, and this is something we talked about in our last episode, of the NHL existing teams having to give up their talent for other teams. I still think there should have been some kind of compensation for that, but these teams are nevertheless competitive right now, which is a perfect segue to bringing us to the 2023 draft, which undoubtedly there are people that are still going, I still think Montreal can make a trade and get Connor Bedard. Chicago is not going to let go of having now locked down Connor Bedard in the lottery. That just isn't going to happen. Most likely a number two. I think it's pretty much a guarantee, almost to the point that Bedard is going number one overall, that Adam Fentildi goes number two to Anaheim. Leo Carson, probably going to Columbus. Where it gets interesting is at number four, because the San Jose Sharks could be really interesting here. San Jose has always done things a little different. San Jose has always been able to, or always been willing to, wait a little longer for a prospect. And of the teams in the top five, is San Jose really as bad as drafting in the number four position would indicate? Interesting question. So I'm wondering if they draft Mishkov. And if they do, there's a couple of things that I'm going to propose that people are probably going to go, wow, this guy really needs help. If Mishkov is drafted at number four by San Jose, obviously Montreal, I think, is going to grab Will Smith at five. At that point, I think it would be really interesting if Montreal sends Josh Anderson to the Philadelphia Flyers, who John Tortorella earlier this year said he would love to have on his roster and loved having him on his team in Columbus when he was the head coach. And Daniel Briere, the new permanent general manager, has already made comments how he doesn't think the Philadelphia fans believe or should have to go through a rebuild at this point that they've been through enough. So that tells me they're not really interested in doing a total rebuild. They're interested in doing a fine-tuning on the fly. So send Josh Anderson to Philadelphia, and this is only part one of this trade, for the seventh pick overall. Package that with Jesse Ulanen to Arizona and flip that for the sixth pick. And after selecting Will Smith in the first round at five, select Ryan Leonard at six with the sixth pick. 
And that still leaves Montreal with Florida's pick, which undoubtedly will be the 32nd pick in the first round. And at that point, snatch Mike Rabel, the Czech goaltender. Address your goaltending need. If Montreal is to walk out of the first round of this year's draft with Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, and Mike Rabel, I'd say that's a pretty successful draft, and that's just the first round. So I completely disagree with everybody that wants to trade the Florida pick at this point, going, oh, it's not going to be worth anything. I disagree. You can grab Mike Rabel at that point, and that would be a major addition to one of the weaker positions in the team's prospect pool. Montreal has the 37th pick in the second round of the draft. I would love to see them back up Mike Rabel's selection with the Florida pick, with the selection of Adam Gajan out of Sweden, who's committed to Minnesota, another goaltender. Or if that's not a possibility, or they say, well, one of our other positional needs is right wing, maybe Charlie Strummel would be an option. In round three, this is clearly where you'd start taking, if you already haven't, best players available on the board. Upside, versatility, depth, those are no secrets to people that do that for a living even closely. And you scoop up players in the third round, such as Zachary Nearing, Ethan Medema, or Yuri Strand. In the fourth round, everybody's like, oh, Montreal's got to take a right defenseman. Take Brad Cleveland. I think he's going to be a good NHL defenseman. Or you take another right winger in Noah Nord. Go back and grab a goaltender, Damien Clara. In round five, left defenseman Christian Kostadinsky or Matteo Fabizzi or another goaltender, Alexander Helnero out of Sweden would be excellent additions. And just to finish it out in the seventh round, another right wing, Marcel Marcel, which by the way is between 6'4 and 6'6 and 240 pounds plus. That'd be a hell of a draft. That would be a really solid draft that would address skill, goaltending, right wings, all those positions. I really, really hope the Florida Panthers win the Stanley Cup this year, and I am looking forward to what should be an absolutely fun-filled offseason. I think it's going to be a bunch of great stories and nothing else. I think there's going to be a lot of changes in the league, not just continuing in Montreal as they continue their rebuild, which I think is moving faster than some people thought it would. I think they're going to continue to assemble a great roster, but I think the changes in the league this year in the offseason might just steal the headlines and Toronto of course is by far doing its part to do that and see how everything flushes out on that note thanks again for tuning into episode 48 I'm your host Stephen Stiles have a fantastic week